Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Genesis. We are continuing our journey uh, through this ancient book of Scripture. Genesis chapter 14 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. We're going to study the whole chapter together, but in just a moment, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 12. So Genesis 14, 1 through 12, that's what we'll read together in just a moment. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay, because in the seat rack before you, you should find a copy of the Bible, pick up that Bible, and find Genesis with us. It's the very first book in the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you, read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Genesis chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. And so, so, so years ago, I, um, I was getting ready to move from the New Orleans area with my wife. We've been married for a little over a year, and we were moving to North Augusta to start a, a new pastorate there. And, and so, so when we got there on that weekend where you had the, um, the meet and greet, the congregation, uh, we got there and we saw all these people we'd never met before, obviously. Uh, we had interviewed with the pastor search team. We knew those people. We didn't know everybody else. And so it was just kind of like we did here four and a half years ago when I became your pastor. We gathered together and introduced myself to everybody, shook a lot of hands, and, and we had a time. And I honestly don't remember if we did this here or not when I came to serve here four and a half years ago. But we had a time where, where they allowed anybody in the congregation to ask me any question they wanted to ask me. And so that, that's a lot of fun. And so I was prepared. I was prepared to answer theology questions. I was prepared to answer pastoral ministry questions. I was prepared to answer questions as to how I would lead the church and why I would lead in that direction. All those kinds of questions. I was ready. I felt good about it. Uh, it was going to be a fun night. And so, so we, we were there, and, and the first gentleman came to the microphone to ask me a question, and, and he was, I don't know, um, he was probably at that time in his, his late 70s, early 80s. He was an elderly man. And, and just mind you, this, this was a different part uh, of the state. This was in Edgefield County. And so in Edgefield County, everybody, right, man, woman, and child has a gun, and they use it. And so, so that's just kind of where it was. And, and, and just, I mean, there was a big hunting and fishing place. That's just kind of what they do there. And, 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 and I don't do those things. I, 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 I'm Barney Fife with a gun. I mean, I've only shot a few times in my life, and I, I don't hunt, and I don't fish. So I, I just didn't fit the mold there in, in that regard. And so so, so the, the, the elderly gentleman, he comes to the microphone and he asks this question. What kind of manly things do you do? Like, what kind of question is that, right? Like, that's the first question I get. And, and I, I didn't know how to answer. I mean, I was, I'm looking at the guy like, seriously? I mean, ask me about the Trinity. I want to talk about that or, or something else. And, and so, so I, in the moment, I, all I could think to say was, well, yeah, I, I married a good-looking woman, right? That's... That's good enough, and so, so that was it. But, 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 you know, I mean, here we are on Father's Day, and on Father's Day we like to talk about manhood and what it means to be a man and a father and all those kinds of things. And, 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 I, and I, I found this story on the Internet, which I thought was, was really interesting. In China, there's this man. His name is Yong Milong or something like that. I can't speak Chinese, but anyway, that, he's got this Chinese name. And so, so he is 86 years old. Actually, I, I brought a picture of him. When he was 66 years old, 20 years ago, his grandchildren introduced him to video games. And so now, here's his, I kid you not, here's his daily routine. 
every day he gets up and, and, and he uh, eats breakfast and he plays ping pong because he's trying to stay physically fit. And then he plays video games for three hours every single day as an 86-year-old man. That's wild, right? And, and, and he's become quite the social media uh, uh, hit. He has over 200,000 followers on Instagram. Isn't that wild? And so, so yeah, so, so someday this man is going to die and, and his grandchildren are going to remember him for how he played video games three hours a day, right? And then that's fine. That was his thing. I get it. That's very different than the story we're going to read about a man in the Bible today, Abraham. Abraham is not 86 years old when we look at this story we're looking at this morning. He's about 75, 76 years old. And he's not playing video games. At 75, 76 years old, he's going to war. Now, look around this room. There, there might be a couple of you in this room who are 75, 76, 77, whatever the case may be. Uh, 50, 51, 52. I don't think any of us are, are planning on going to war. I don't, think of, I don't think of many 75-year-old men who are thinking, you know, it's a good idea to go to battle. That's just not where we are at that stage in life. And so, man, you think about a man's man and a man's story. I mean, this is the perfect Father's Day story. Who doesn't want to hear the story about a 75-year-old man going to war and whooping tail? I mean, this is a really good story. But, but we're going to find out, as we're finding out through Abraham's story, what defines his manhood is not his ability to go to war at 75. What defines his manhood is his faith in God. And what we've seen as we've walked through Abraham's story over the last uh, a few weeks now is Abraham is growing in his faith. He's learning what it means to walk with God by faith. And, 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 and this story is so interesting because for us, looking at this story, and it's, let's be honest, this is a, a story we don't look at very often on Sunday mornings. It's just kind of an odd story. Uh, and, and most of us in this room aren't getting ready to go to battle, especially at 75 years old. But this story is a reminder to us that, that we are in the midst of a battle. We are in a war every single day of our lives, and, and sometimes you feel it. You know the battle, the spiritual battle, the battles at home or whatever the case may be. And just a reminder from this passage that, that in whatever battle you face, there is a God you can put your eyes on who gives you hope and gives you victory. And, and, and being a father, being a mother, uh, being, being a, a father or a mother that honors the Lord is, is being a father or a mother who looks to God in all situations and says, I'm putting my eyes on where my hope can be found, and it's Christ Jesus. And so I, I think what this story is going to help us with, this story is going to help us to, to know how to walk by faith even in our battles. And so I want to show you from this passage two truths that I think are going to help you. Again, this whole series that we're talking about with Abraham, it's all about walking by faith. And I want to show you from this passage two truths that are going to help us to walk by faith no matter what life throws at us, the battles, the victories, the trials, whatever. So take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 12, excuse me, Genesis chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Rise your feet as we honor the ring of God's word. There are a lot of names that I can't say in this passage. And so, so when I was in seminary, what they taught me is to read these names fast and loud, and you won't know the difference. So we're going to do our best to try this. Ready? In those days, King Amaphrael of Shinar, King Arioch of Elisar, King Ketarleomer of Elar, and King Tidal of... What you laughing at? I'm just getting started. We got a way to go. Hold on. King Tidal of Goim waged war against King Bera of Sodom. King Bersha of Gomorrah. 
Gemara, King Shinab of Adam, and King Shimber of Zerobim, as well as the King Bela, that is Zor, all of these came as allies to the Siddim Valley, that is the Dead Sea. They were subject to Kederleomer for 12 years. But in the 13th year, they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kederleomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Raphim in Ashutoth Karamim, the Zuthim in Ham, the Emim in, I'm just going to skip over that one, and the Horites in mountains of Seir as far as El Paran by the wilderness. Then they came back to invade in Mishpat, that is uh, uh, Kadesh, and they defeated the whole territory of the Amicalites as well as the Amorites who lived in Hazan and Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of uh, Bela, that is Zoar, went out and lined up for battle in the Sidon Valley against King Ketolomero of Elam, king Tidal of Goim, king Amraphel of Shinark and King Arioch of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the Siddim Valley contained many asphalt pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, but the rest fled to the mountains. The four kings took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food and went on. They also took Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, for he was living in Sodom, and they went on. I think we should pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I know we just read a list of names that most of us have never heard and make no sense to us. But Father, I thank you for this story because this is an incredible story of your work in the life of Abraham. So now, Father, as we look at this story, help us. Help us to know that whatever battles we face in this life, there is victory in Jesus. Father, I know that you're going to speak to us now. So as you speak to us, help us to listen to your voice. Uh, with, with ears that are ready to receive your word and hearts that are ready to obey your word. Have your way in our lives right now, I ask. Help us be attentive. Help us not be distracted by what we need to do this afternoon or what's coming up this week. Help us in these moments to focus our attention on you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're 14 chapters into the book of Genesis. And, and let's just be honest, we're a long way from where we started because in Genesis chapter 1, everything that God created was good. Genesis chapter 2, God creates an, a garden, a good garden, a lush garden. And in that garden, he places two people, Adam and Eve. And everything was good until they rebelled. And so we've followed the story now from Genesis chapter 3 forward. And we've seen over and over the failure of the people that God created. And now here we are in Genesis chapter 14, and it's the first time in the Bible that war is talked about. War. In fact, this is interesting to me. Come back up, and and I'm not going to read all these names again, but look back at chapter 14, verse 1, and you see what it says. In the days King Emmaphrael of Shinar, now circle that word Shinar because that's an interesting word because back, I don't know if you remember this or not, a few chapters ago, the people came together and they built a tower. Remember the Tower of Babel? That Tower of Babel was built in the land of Shinar. And so these people who who were wanting to build a tower, who were wanting to be unified, now what? They're warring. And then you have this, this list of kings who are dwelling in this land of Canaan where Abraham now lived. And it's interesting. Now, I don't know if you know how it worked back then, but, but typically what happened is, is that these, these kingdoms were really tribal kingdoms, different groups of people, and, and, and every one of these tribes had a particular king, and, and, and there was always a, a kingdom that was stronger than the others. And, and you read about that king here, the king, king Ketaleomer. I'm going to say it different every single time. King Ketaleomer, all right? So he's the big king in charge. And so what's happened is you have these other kingdoms. They have formed an alliance with him. 
And so he's the big king in town. He's the king over all these other kingdoms, if you will. He, and and as, as they form an alliance with this particular king, King Ketaleomer, they're, they're trusting him. They're trusting him to protect them. And what happens is all these other tribal kingdoms, year after year, what they would do in exchange for King Ketaleomer's protection is they would pay a tribute. And so every year, year after year, they pay this tribute, and it, it could have been some kind of uh, grain tribute or whatever the case may be that they would give. And, and finally, after 12 years, you have five kingdoms. They're tired of it. They're tired of paying an annual tribute to King Ketaleomer. We're not given all the details. Maybe the, the tribute was increasing every year. Who knows? But they're tired of paying it, and so they have this idea. We can come together. We can come together, and, and we can defeat King Ketaleomer. And so you have this, this war that takes place. Five kings against four kings. And you would think, right, that the five kings would be able to beat the four kings. And what's interesting is that in these five kingdoms that go to war against the four kingdoms, there are two kings, the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. And now you, you, you're familiar with, with Sodom and Gomorrah because later on in the book of Genesis, we're going to read about the demise of Sodom and Gomorrah. But if you were around last week, you also know that this area is significant because when Abraham and Lot were in Canaan and, and, and the land could not hold them because they had so much stuff, so many livestock and servants and their servants were fighting against each other. Abraham stood with Lot and said, you, pick where you want to go. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. And you remember? Lot looked and he saw the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, that's where I want to live. It looks wonderful. It looks like the garden of God. And so he made his way to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he lived outside of Sodom. But now, when you get to Genesis chapter 14, when you get to verse 12, he's not living outside of Sodom anymore. He's living in Sodom. And so there we are. You have these five kingdoms that choose to go to war against the four kingdoms. King Ketelomer, he is the the king that's really in charge, and, and, and his four kingdoms unite, and they defeat the five kingdoms. In fact, you read down and you, you read about how, how these people are, are fleeing and trying to get to the mountains. Some of them aren't able to make it, but, but you come down, and, and look what it says again. You come to verse 12. They also took Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, for he was living in Sodom, and they went on. Do you see it? These four kingdoms, led by King Ketaleomer, they come and they defeat the five kingdoms and they defeat Sodom, they defeat Gomorrah, and they, they take everything. Remember, just last week, we looked at how Lot walked away from Abraham, going to this land that, that looked like the garden of God. In Lot's mind, in that land, all of his dreams would come true. He would take his wealth, he would take his cattle, he would take his family, he would take his servants, and and they would grow. He would become even more wealthy. All of his desires could be met in this land, this place that looked like to him the garden of God. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? This place where he goes to settle down and gain more wealth. There's a battle. And in a moment, in a moment, everything's taken away from him. In a moment, all those possessions that he had, all that stuff that he had, it was gone. And not only was it gone, but this man who went to Sodom and Gomorrah as a powerful, wealthy, 
free man, he and his family, they're now enslaved. They're captives. It doesn't take long, right? He looked at this land with such longing and, some desire, and such desire. But now he's experiencing the consequences for choosing to live in a land that was full of evil people. Now, he's taken captive. But there's someone who escapes, a servant from his household, and he goes and finds Abraham. Now, come on, let me show you what it says. You come to verse 13. One of the survivors came and told Abram the Hebrew, who lived near the oaks belonging to Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eschol and the brother of Aner. They were bound by a treaty with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken prisoner, he assembled his 318 trained men, born in his household, and they went and pursued as far as Dan. Now stop right there. So, so you have one of Lot's servants who, who comes and finds Abraham and says, Abraham, you're not going to believe this. There's this war that's broken out in the land and Abraham, I mean, he's kind of oblivious. He's, he's just living his life and he's at peace and, and everything's going well and he's not involved in this war. But then he learns about Lot and how Lot has been captured. Now, now let's just be honest, right? If you're in Abraham's shoes, if you're there and Lot's relative comes to you or his servant comes to you and says, hey, Lot's been captured, wouldn't you be tempted to say, Lot got what was coming for him? I mean, after all, he walked away. He chose the better land and left me out here in this dry and arid land. He's getting what he deserves. But you see what it says? It's not what Abraham says. He gets up. He takes 318 trained men and he begins to go after Lot. Lot didn't deserve to be rescued. And what we could do right now is we could just take a moment and step back and, and pause the story. And I can remind you that you didn't deserve to be rescued either. Every one of us were like Lot. We all chose to go after what we desired. We all chose to go after what looked like us, looked to us like Eden. But God chose to rescue us in spite of our poor choices. He sent his son Jesus who died and rose again for us. But we're going to get to that at the end of the message. So here you have Abraham. He gets up. And he takes 318, 318 train men. That's a big house. You understand? I mean, obviously he doesn't have a son yet, but he has, has these people that came with him out of Ur and out of Haran. He's got these servants and, and their family. He's got 318 trained men in his house. It's a lot of people to have in your house. And so, so he gets these 318 people and they go. Now, just think about these four kingdoms, these four powerful kingdoms led by King Akedar Leomer. There's no way. We don't know the number of soldiers that were uh, in these four kingdoms. But all Abraham has is 318 men. But he goes. And what the Bible tells us in the verses that follow is that, that at night, which makes sense because he wants to have a surprise attack at night, he goes and he camps out the area and then, and then he, he sends his men in. And they win. They're victorious. I mean, look what the Bible says. You come down and you read what it says. He took his... Um, 318 trained men born in his household and they went in pursuit as far as Dan, verse 15, and he and his servants deployed against them by night, defeated them and pursued them as far as Hobah to the north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods and also his relative Lot and his goods as well as the women and other people. Talk about a victory. This 75-year-old man, this 75-year-old saint gets his 318 men and he goes down to this area and he begins to fight. And this 75-year-old man, he is 
victorious. I mean, he looks much more like Rambo, right, than, than, than a 75-year-old man. And, and he, he brings it all back. I mean, Lot is set free. He, he gathers all of the possessions. I mean, think about how Abraham must have felt. I mean, it's a good day for Abraham because you had all of these kings warring against each other. You had the, the five go up against the four. And, and we're wondering in the story, who is it? Who's the real king in the land? Who's the one that really has the power? Who's the one that really has the authority? And all of a sudden we find out it's Abraham. Abraham's the king of the land. Abraham's the one that says, no, this is the land of promise. This is the land uh, that God has given me. We're not going to do this in my land. And he goes down, he whoops everybody's tail. He frees his, his nephew from, from exile and captivity. And, and so here we are at, at the middle of this story and, and we're left thinking, man, this is great. We see it. We see who the real king of the land is. It's Abraham. This is awesome. It's a good day for Abraham. So we read the story. Look at what it says. After Abram returned from defeating uh, Ketoleomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the Sheva Valley, that is the king's valley. So here we have it. Imagine the king of Sodom. He had been, been defeated by Ketoleomer. All of his stuff had been taken away. His kingdom wiped out. And now he goes to the king's valley to meet with Abraham. And you can imagine the king of Sodom. He, he's walking to that place, that valley where kings would meet to negotiate. He's walking to that valley wanting to beg for some mercy, wanting to work a deal. Come on, Abraham, let, let's, 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 let's figure this out. He's going in shame. The king of Sodom. He's been, been roundly defeated. And then Abraham, King Abraham, he walks the king's valley. You can imagine the 75-year-old man strutting as he goes. It's a big day for him. With only 318 men, he has routed this, this king Ketelomer and all of his, his tribal kingdoms. I mean, it's a big day. You can imagine the, the confidence that Abraham had. What he had just accomplished. What he had just done. This victory. But then it gets real interesting. Look at what it says in the next verse. You come to verse 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God most high. What? This is weird. Because we've read, I read the names to you. I couldn't say half of them, but I read the names to you. I read the names of, of nine different kings. Melchizedek wasn't in that list of names. It's like from out of nowhere, all of a sudden, appears this other king, king of Salem. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but, but that, that word Salem, in, 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 in these times, Salem is actually the same place as Jerusalem. And that word Salem, it means peace, king of peace. The name Melchizedek, it means righteousness. Melchizedek is a man of righteousness. He's a, he's a man of peace. But the Bible doesn't end with, with that description of king. The Bible goes on to describe him as a, a priest. Now, just think for a moment. If you are an ancient Hebrew, remember now, Moses is the author of this book. And Moses authors this book while, while the people are in the wilderness. And, and just imagine, because as, as Moses is writing this book, you know what's taking place. 
God has given his law, the Ten Commands, and God is establishing a priesthood through the people. And you probably remember this, that that first priest is who? Aaron. And now all of a sudden, as you're there, and, and maybe Moses is reading the book of Genesis to you, you hear about a priest of God named Melchizedek? Wait, wait, wait a minute. There's, who's he? Because I thought Aaron was the first priest. And what are you talking about, Melchizedek? And so out of nowhere appears this man, Melchizedek. And if you, if you knew your Old Testament law, you would also know that a king and priest, those two things don't go together. Now nowhere, this king, this priest, who lives in the land of Canaan, of all places, a land of pagans, and he follows God, and then he speaks. And what he says is, is so, so huge. It's so vastly important. Look at what he says. He blessed him and said, Abraham is blessed by God most high. Remember back to Genesis chapter 12? When, when, when God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, follow me. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. I'm not going to tell you how you're going to get there. Just follow me. And I will what, church? I will bless you. We'll make your name great. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And now here we are, Melchizedek, Melchizedek this, this guy that just seemed to uh, appear out of nowhere. Abraham, don't forget, you're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed by God. Now look what else he says, because this is hugely important. Abraham is blessed by, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Do you hear what he's saying? Because just imagine for a moment, if you will, what Abram's done with 318 men is he has defeated, he has soundly defeated, he has soundly defeated King Ketelomer and his, 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 his alliance. And now, Melchizedek, he says to Abraham, Mm-mm. God gave you the victory. It's not your victory. Out of nowhere, King Melchizedek shows up to say to Abraham, you are blessed and you are victorious and it's not because of you, it's because of God. Never forget, Abraham, where your victory comes from. It doesn't come from your strength, your ability, uh, your, your strategies. It comes from God. God is the one who made you victorious. And then he's gone. Just as, as, as quick as he shows up, he's gone. And, and we never hear from his mouth again in the book of Genesis. But then we hear from the other king, Sodom. The king of Sodom. Look at what it says. Verse 21, Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, but take the possessions for yourself. And so in other words, what's going on here is the king of Sodom, he comes to Abraham after Abraham has this conversation with Melchizedek, and he says to Abraham, Hey, let's make a deal. Come on. We never have to go to war again. You just give me my people back. You can have all the stuff, all you want. Take all the stuff. Just give me my people. We'll leave you alone. We'll go our separate ways. And then look at what it says. Abraham, he says um, to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not make a, take a thread or sandal strap or anything that belongs to you so you can never say I made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the servants have eaten, but as for the share of the men who came with me, and there, Eskol and Mamre, they can take their share. And so in other words, what happens is, is Abraham, he looks at the king of Sodom in the eye and says, no, you don't want anything that belongs to you. I, I'm not making a deal with you. I don't want anyone to ever say, 
you made me rich. No, no, no. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust that in God's time and in God's way, he's going to fulfill his promise to me. This Melchizedek guy, he showed up and reminded me that, that everything I have and every victory I have is a result of God. I don't want anything you have for me, you see? Oh, this is so good. Out of nowhere, this king of peace shows up just to remind Abraham who the real king really is. Abraham's not the king of the land. God is the king of the land. And Abraham never needs to forget that. It's an interesting story. But, but, but here's what I want you to see from this story. I, I, I know it's an odd story. It's, you, for most of you, you've probably never heard this story preached on a Sunday morning. It's just not a part of the Bible we typically talk about. It's just a weird story. And so what does this interesting story have to do with you and me? Well, a lot. Let me show you just a couple of things. We've got to move for the sake of time, but look what it says. First truth I want you to see from this passage of Scripture. The same God who is work in your trials is at work in your victories. The same God who is at work in your trials is at work in your victories because let's be honest, Abraham's life has not been easy. You think about it. After God called him, there was a famine. He went down to Egypt and almost lost his wife. There's nothing been easy. But, but in those difficulties, guess what? God was always at work in Abraham's life. And now you come to Genesis chapter 14, there's a victory. And and who gets the glory for the victory? God. Because God was still at work in Abraham's life. On every page of the story, at every moment in Abraham's life, God is at work. And I know you know this because many of you in this room, you're good followers of Jesus. But let me just remind you, in your life, there is never a moment that God is not at work. He's always at work in your life. And and so here's the tendency, right? For all of us, here's our tendency. When when life is bad, when the the trials come, we have a tendency to what? To panic. Oh my goodness. I can't believe I'm going through this. This is so hard. What am I going to do? And we worry. We get anxious. We stress. And then when the victories come, what do we do? We strut. Look what I did. Look how smart I am. I figured it out. I got myself out of that mess. Look how successful I am. It's because I worked hard and I did all the right things. And so, so in trials, we panic. In victories, we strut. And we forget that in it all, trials and victories, it's God. God is at work bringing you out of your trials. God is at work in your victories. There's never a time that he's not at work. And so what that means, and you know this, it means you can't take credit. There's not a point in your life where you can say, I did it. I figured life out. I got myself out of that mess, or I, I made it to the top. No, 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 no. You can't take credit for anything because it's God. God is the one at work in your life. God is the one accomplishing his will and his purpose in your life. It's like what Paul says in Galatians 6, 14. Far be it from me to boast in anything other than the cross of Christ. You see, you can't take credit and you can't hold back. You notice what Abraham does there in the presence of King Melchizedek. He tithes. He gives him a tenth of what he has. It was just a way of acknowledging that what he had ultimately belonged to God. And now watch this. Since you know God is at work, he's at work in your trials, and he's at work in your victories, there's ne- are you following? There's never a time in your life that God is not at work for his glory and your good. Why should you hold back? Why should you hold back your service to him? Why should you hold back your devotion to him? 
Uh, Why should you hold back your resources from him? You see? And you can't not submit. If you know that he is at work in your trials and your victories, that he's always at work, why not say to God, not my will, but your will be done? You see? When you understand who God is and what he is doing in your life, then you very clearly begin to understand that you can't take credit for anything. You can't hold back and you can't not submit. This past week I was in Nashville. We, um, I was, um, Stacy stay here with the boys. I went uh, to the, the Southern Baptist Convention, our annual meeting. 20,000 people were at this convention in Nashville. It was, it was interesting. And so, so we were there and, 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 and so they have this exhibit hall and I went to the exhibit hall and it, one of the, the things you could do at the exhibit hall was you could stop and get a health screening. I haven't been to the doctor, I don't know, five years or so. So I figured I probably need to, Get my blood levels checked, right? So I went, they pricked my finger, and, 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 and the lady came back with my results from the test, and she said, you have high cholesterol. I'm like, high cholesterol? I mean, I run like every day, and so I guess I can't eat Chick-fil-A five times a week. Now I've got to cut back on what it can be, but, but, I, but I immediately started to panic a little bit because, because I, I mean, I think I'm a pretty healthy guy. Like, how do I have high cholesterol? I exercise. Like, I, I run like a crazy man. I'm not supposed to have high cholesterol. And, and so I started to panic. I, I texted Stacy. I said, you're not going to believe this. I have high cholesterol. And I, I called a buddy of mine and said, man, I'm, 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 I'm panicked. I've got high cholesterol. And it just, it, just, it just really upset me for the rest of the week that I have high cholesterol. So anyway, I tell you that to tell you this. So, so yesterday morning, Morning, I was I was getting up and I got up and I was getting ready to go run and so so I was getting my running clothes on and 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 while I was getting ready to go run to, to defeat my high cholesterol my face it started to burn like like I've never felt before and that burning sensation and I kid you not this really happened that burning sensation it, it went from my head all the way down to my toes my body lit up like what in the world is going on? And, and I looked in the mirror and, and my whole body, you can ask Stacy, she saw it, my whole body turned red. Like, you remember the Incredible Hulk? It was kind of like that, just red. I mean, the muscles and everything started bulging out and I just got really red. So, so anyway, my, my body, it just got really red. And so Stacy was asleep at the time. I went upstairs and I, and I said, Stacy, get up, I gotta go to the hospital. I don't know what's wrong with me, but my whole body's burning and, and, and I'm red, I, 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 I don't know. And, and all I can think about is I have this high cholesterol and, and, and one of the side effects or is maybe I'm having a heart attack and my chest felt fine, maybe I'm having a stroke. I, have, I mean, serious, I was panicking. And so Stacy, I gotta go to the hospital. And so she gets up, I said, I ain't got time for wait for you. I'll go drive myself. And I said, wait, no, call 911, I don't know. So I found myself in my car, drive myself to the hospital, which is about two miles away. I'm like, man, this is, this is, this is bad. So I call my mom because my mom's a nurse and I wanted to say my goodbyes to my parents before, I, you know. And so, so I call my mom and say, Mom, I'm, I'm on my way to the emergency room, take care of my wife and my kids. And, you know, and she said, well, what's going on? And so she's a nurse, so she started diagnosed. And so she said, okay, have you eaten anything different? Maybe you're having an allergic reaction to something. I said, no, no I don't think I'm having an allergic reaction. I, I, I didn't eat anything this morning but a protein bar and I, and I you know, drank my cup of coffee. That's, that's really all I had. And, and so we went through, what, what have you done differently? And we got to thinking and... So when I found out I had high cholesterol, I called a buddy of mine who also has high cholesterol. And he said to me, Tommy, here's what you need to do. And he's a preacher, so I trust him. <laughs> he said, you need to take niacin. Well, I didn't know what that was, but apparently you do. And so, so I got on Amazon.com and had it next day to my house. And so Saturday morning before I ran, I took my vitamin like I always do, and I took a niacin. I had no idea that one of the side effects of niacin is that it almost kills you. 
And so I'm talking to my mom. I said, well, I took this niacin thing. She said, never take that again. Turn around and go home. I said, yes, ma'am. And so, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, who knew? And I'll tell you that to tell you this. Here's what happened. Tuesday or Wednesday, I had a confrontation with my health. And in that moment, when I heard that I had high cholesterol, I wanted to fix it. I wanted to do something to make it go away. I wanted to get better. Now, now watch this. That, that confrontation caused an immediate change. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get better. That confront, and you've been there. Some of you have gotten some diagnoses. Or whatever, and that, con, that confrontation, that diagnosis forced you to want to make a change. Now, that's a silly story, but I tell you this. When you confront God, now come here, come here, come here. When you really come into the presence of God, when you really are confronted by his greatness, by his power, when you know that he is the God of victory, man, it, it causes change. When you see how great and powerful and mighty he is, it causes you to want to, to make a change in your life where you recognize you can't take credit, you can't hold back, and you must submit to his will. And I'm afraid that the reason why some of us are constantly taking credit, always holding back, and never submitting to his will is because we aren't regularly being confronted by God. We're ignoring him. We're not in his word. We're not in his presence, you see, but, but, but we, got, we got to end. I know I'm going to go late. Just hang on, right? The restaurant will be there, but listen to the second truth. The God who is at work in your victories knows how to bless you. So the God who is at work in your trials is also at work in your victories. And the God who is at work in your victories also knows how to bless you. Now, this is so good. Because if I were to go around this room and ask each one of you, every one of you, every one of you, you would say to me, that's what I want. I want to be blessed. And this is what God promised Abraham. I'm going to bless you. And then you have a king, the king of Sodom. I've got a blessing for you too, Abraham. Let's make a deal. Now, let, me, let me help you think through this. You're not going to miss out when you walk by faith. Let me explain what I mean by that. You think that. Because every one of us in this room, now, now listen carefully, every one of us, we want to be blessed. And so we see all these things we want. And if we, we say to ourselves, if I can just get, if I can just get, if I can just obtain, then I'll be blessed. And the kings of Sodom are presenting themselves to us and saying, let's make a deal. I'll give you. I'll bless you if you'll do this. And we think that's where the blessing is. And if we don't take that blessing that the world is showing us, take that thing that our heart wants, then we're missing out. Let me just remind you, if you follow God by faith, you won't miss out on anything. You see, because you need to hear this. You, you got to hear this. Being blessed isn't getting everything you want in life. Being blessed is receiving everything that God has for you. And those things that God has for you, now watch this, they might be things you don't want. It might be that diagnosis of cancer. That's a blessing? Well, if God uses that to draw you to Him and to leave other people to Him, then absolutely is a blessing. Losing my job, that's a blessing? Well, yeah. If God uses that loss of a job to draw you to himself and to open up another door for you that he wants you to go through, absolutely that's a blessing. Those kids I got, they're a blessing? Oh, absolutely, because they're going to help you. They're going to help you to grow in patience, praise God. They're going to help you to grow, right? 
So, so yes, being blessed in this life isn't getting whatever you want. Being blessed in this life, now watch, is receiving everything that God has for you. And when you walk by faith, you're not going to miss out. The world may tempt you with all kinds of things and say, here's where the blessing is, but you found it. The blessing is in God, right? And, and watch this. You're not going to give in often when you walk by faith. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Think about Abraham. Melchizedek has just talked to him. Abraham, you're blessed. God has given you victory. And then Sodom says, it's all right. Sodom says what? Sodom says, the king of Sodom says what? Hmm, I got a different blessing for you. Abraham does not give in to the king of Sodom. Why? Because he knew. He knew where the true blessing came from. Now, I, I tell you that, tell you this. The more you walk by faith, and we're beginning to see this, now we all stumble, that's why I say often. We all stumble from time to time. But the more you walk by faith, the more convinced you become that there's nothing in this world that will satisfy you like the one who blesses you, God, you see. And I'll tell you all that to tell you this, and we're done. What every one of us need in this room is Melchizedek. We need someone. We need someone who will show up in our lives and remind us where blessing comes from. We need someone to show up in our lives and say, no victory you have in this life is because of you. It's because of him. We need someone like Melchizedek who remind us that the God of all creation is worthy of our praise and adoration. And what's interesting is that Melchizedek, someone like Melchizedek, showed up again. In Hebrews chapter 7, now we don't have time to get into all this because I'm out of time, but in Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews says, there was another priest who came. And this other priest who came, he, he wasn't like the priest of Aaron. He didn't come from that Levitical line. He was like Melchizedek. And his name was Jesus. And if you think about it, it's, it's kind of interesting. Hang with me. Jesus is a lot like Melchizedek because Jesus kind of shows up from out of nowhere. You think about in that, 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 that first century, when Jesus was born, nobody was expecting a, a Savior, a Messiah, to be born in Bethlehem and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and put in a manger. Nobody was expecting a, a carpenter's son to be the Savior of the world. He just kind of showed up out of nowhere, so it seemed. But this one who showed up out of nowhere, so it seemed, did what none of us could do lived a perfect life for you and then went to a cross and was nailed to that cross for you, taking the punishment for your sins that you deserve and then three days later rose from the grave to prove to you, now watch, this is so good, to prove to you that he is the king. He is the king who has come to give you victory by dying the death you deserve and by rising again from the dead. He is not only your king, but he is your priest. He has made a way for all of us to come and there's no greater blessing than this. He has made a way for all of us to have a relationship with the God of all creation. He, is, he has and he is fixing what we have broken. You see, we all need a Melchizedek. Someone who says, look, God, that's where the blessing is. That's where the victory is. It's not in you. It's in him. Come and come through me. Come through my life. I've laid down for you.
Come to my resurrected life. You see? And so in this room this morning, here's why now. Some of you need to take your eyes off you. And you need to take your eyes off of this world that, that, that's like the king of Sodom and constantly saying to you, oh, just make a deal with me and I'll bless you. And look to the one who this morning wants to bless you with a relationship with him through Christ Jesus our Lord. And this morning, give your life to him. Turn from your sin. Acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a savior and repent and claim him today as Lord of your life. Today, this morning, for some of us, for the very first time, it's time to finally give your life to Jesus. And I want to invite you to do so. In the corners of this room, there are crosses. And I want to invite you as we uh, have a time of invitation to get up and to go to one of those crosses because at those crosses there'll be somebody there who wants to pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. I'll be down front. You can come talk to me as well. If you're watching online, there's gonna be a number that pops up on the screen. You can text that number and very soon someone will reach out to you and pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. But man, what a day today could be if you today would make the decision to give your life to Jesus. For the rest of us, listen, listen, here's what I think God's doing this morning. He's reminding you through his son, the power of his spirit, through his word, he's reminding you that he's the real king. And because he is, you can't take credit for anything in your life. You can only give him glory. And because he is, you can't hold back and you must submit to him this morning. And he's a good king. And here's why I know this morning, there are those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've taken our eyes off the king. We've forgotten that he's always at work. Why don't you acknowledge him this morning with your life? Maybe as we have a time of invitation, you just want to gather and pray and ask God to help you to put your eyes back on him and help you to know again that he is a source of all your blessing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together in your word. Now, Father, for that person who's in this room, who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person will come and trust you as Lord. For that, that person watching online, I pray they'll reach out today and begin a relationship with you. Father, for those of us who are followers of you, May today we be reminded that you are our true king. All blessing is in a relationship with you. If we have you, we have everything we need. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise your feet as a time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.